Uh, welcome to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast on The Athletic, bringing you exclusive and original stories and interviews, offering agenda-setting insight from inside the game from David and writers from across The Athletic. So coming up today, why an England return for Vardy won't happen and the new names in the frame to step in for Harry Kane, how Leicester's strategy with star names, including James Madison, will play out, and we bring you details on the workings of super agent Mina Raiola. Could he be adding Marcus Rashford to his talent roster? You actually bumped into a striker, didn't you, this weekend who's just made a move? I did, Cenk Tosin. Um, I saw him as I was leaving Selhurst Park after the Crystal Palace Arsenal match. A wonderfully nice uh, young man, desperate to go to the Euros this summer, very pleased to have joined Crystal Palace, which he sees as a, a little family club. He He's looking forward to exploring London. He was actually in a rush to get the train back from Euston to Liverpool, where he's still got a house and his wife and two children live there I think he's just had a, a baby daughter and um, he looked in good shape he feels in good shape he signed uh, for Crystal Palace until the end of the season there's an 20 million pound option for Palace to buy him at the end uh, there's a 1 million pound loan fee that Palace will only have to pay if uh, they stay in the Premier League which they're looking like they're doing so th- they'll do so that will get paid and it was quite interesting 100,000 pounds a week that they'll take on Palace I sense that Tosin will actually be a good signing. It's rare that you see strikers move from one Premier League club to another, certainly on loan during the January transfer window. Although you say that, and Laurie Whitwell, who's the Athletics Manchester United writer, is here as well. This, you have no expertise on this part. But Cenk Tosin on loan from Everton to Crystal Palace is probably the most typical January <laughs> transfer window deal that I could possibly think of. Mm. Do you know what I mean by that? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, striker not in a team yeah. goes to another another team. Will he even play that much? Uh, will he score? We don't know. They've done this before, haven't they, Palette? I mean, Michi Bayou, Michi Bashwile, five goals last season. Ayu. I didn't realise that Tosin's a bit of a hero in Turkey, and so if he's as desperate as he seemed to me to play himself into form ahead of the Euros with a lot resting on his shoulders for them, I think it might be quite a shrewd move. And and he did look in good shape. Let's talk about Mina Raiola first of all. That's one of the main reasons why you're here, Laurie. But uh, David's had dealings with him as well. So you wrote last week a source close to Manchester United might be sick to the core about working with Raiola. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously we've seen the uh, various episodes with Rola over Paul Pogba, the latest being this sort of uh, round of, of kind of interviews that he's done where he sort of changed tack in different ones, I guess, depending on which point he wanted to make. Uh, but one of the points obviously was, I wouldn't take Maldini there, I wouldn't take Pele there, um, you know, and that kind of um, rhetoric is obviously going to make people at United sort of think, really, do we need to have another player represented by Mino Raiola, which obviously we have now in Jesse Lingard? So the Jesse Lingard, he's represented in every way, shape or form by Raiola. No, I'm, I'm led to believe that that's not necessarily the case. I think uh, Jesse Lingard has had his his father sort of deal with um, sort of contracts and things like that previously. Um, so he, and he has sort of uh, liaised with agents and intermediaries, uh, sort of get advice. So I don't think he necessarily employs an agent in the sense in the in the sort of usual sense of, of uh, what players will do. But certainly he has told United that he is working with uh, Mino Rola. So that is a a known sort of fact. To what degree I don't know. And your piece also indicates that another Manchester United player might work with him. I'm led to believe that that's definitely not the case from now, but there were conversations between Marcus Rashford's representatives and Mino Rola 
earlier uh, last year. It was basically a sort of introductory sort of meeting. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they'd met other agents as well, just sort of sense the, the landscape. I mean, he's such a big player now. I think it makes sense to kind of see what the super agents are kind of saying about, about their client, whether that means working together in future, I don't know. But they basically had a good meeting, introductions, kind of both sides left impressed with each other and sort of but left it there. Presumably that's with an eye to a more collaborative representation because Rashford's family look after him and they won't want to let that go. Yeah, exactly. So there's uh, Dwayne and Dane. Um, they've got uh, their own agency that have looked after him. I think you have to say looked after him very well um, to date, given the contract that he's got at United. And clearly he's somebody that absolutely loves playing for Manchester United. Just look at his Instagram and his, and his Twitter and, and the way that he, he plays the game. He sees his future at United, obviously signed a new long-term contract. So there wasn't any necessarily need to, to, to link up with Mino Earler at that point. Yeah, there's been interest in, in him from Barcelona yeah. in the past. Pretty yeah. concrete interest. Yeah, so really serious. It would be interesting how things would develop for him if he did partner up with Raiola because Raiola clients don't tend to stay at one place for a particularly long time. But from a fan's point of view, it's very easy to then jump on Raiola and criticise Raiola and say, you know, you don't care about our football, which, whichever club his player is at. You don't care about our club. You only care about making money for them. But from a lot from those players, and this is no criticism of of Rashford's brothers or Lingard's father, but they're both represented by family members. Raiola also looks after Erling Haaland, whose dad also looks after him as well. Now, if you're a family member and maybe don't know the industry that well, but are in the main relying on the talent of your son, brother, whatever it is, but you have this super agent who has experience across the world it only makes sense to explore those opportunities, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And that's yeah. certainly what I think they felt was beneficial from those meetings. Um, so, as you say, I mean, Minarola has been in the game since, I think, was it 1993? He was he was sort of dealing, doing deals. Dennis Bergkamp, uh, Pavel Nedved was his big one as a solo. Yeah. Uh, was it 1996 after that? So, so he's been in the game for a long, long time, obviously knows absolutely everybody. And I guess the point that I made in the piece was that he sort of comes at it from a different point of view than a club would or a manager, obviously Sir Alex Ferguson did, in the sense that the club should have kind of ownership of the players and uh, the team, the collective, should be the ultimate driving force, whereas Mino Rola, as he is an agent, represents the player first and foremost as their individual entity, so he wants the best deal for them. Jason Burt did an article in The Telegraph with Raiola, went, went to him and interviewed him. Fascinating article. Raiola's point in that sort of backs up what Laurie said there, in that... It's not Raiola's fault what the market is. No, absolutely. The, mar- the market is determined by the industry and the clubs in particular, and therefore he works within that market, but to get the best possible deal for his client, because that is what he is paid to do. Yeah, in relation to one of the points you made, he's not there for the clubs, absolutely not. He openly admits that. He's working to get the best deals for his clients. He has no shame in admitting that, and he similar with people like Jonathan Barnett, they want to make as much money as possible for their clients in what is a relatively short career. Um, Mino Raiola and the likes of George Mendes, uh, Pini Zahavi and others, if they were as bad as many people make them out to be, these players and their families would not be using them. Uh, And what have your experiences been like with him? Well, I think Raiola's... uh, a very interesting character, colourful, larger than life. And, and you, you can tell what he's like from recent interviews that have been done with the likes of Jason Burt and also Paul Hurst in The Times. He does things on his terms. The voicemail uh, is, is one thing where he says, you cannot leave a message, send me a text. 
he doesn't roll in picking up voicemails. He's got so much, like many of these agents, going on that send him a text, he'll deal with it if it interests him and he won't if it doesn't. He interacts with you, he seems very pleasant when you talk. I think he's probably underestimated by a, a lot of clubs because he do, doesn't go around wearing a suit and he doesn't look as suave as, as some people, but he's very sharp and perceptive. Not many of us meet him. I came very close once, which was a bit of a re- regret of mine. It was at Wembley, I think, at the League Cup final one year. Uh, and he said, yeah, I can meet you at uh, this time. So I tried to get out of Wembley, which, as you know, is a bit of a labyrinth yeah. with lifts and corridors. Um, and he told me he was in one place and I got there. And by the time I got there, he wasn't there. And he said, I'm in another place. Uh, I'll be there for two more minutes. I was sprinting around Wembley, dripping. The match was going on. And um, as I got there, it was a minute past the time that he said to meet. I called him and said, I'm there. And he said, I'm on the tube now and I'll be flying out of Heathrow within an hour. Because that's his massive, he is massively punctual, isn't he? That's his big thing. If you're not there, bang on the minute, you're done. That's absolutely right. And Jason Burt mentioned in that interview that he arrived early for that very reason. I will learn from my mistake if I get a second chance. So where were the, where were the, out of interest, can you remember where the places you had to meet him were around Wembley? I think one of them was in an executive level. And as a member of the media, you've only got sort of media area credentials. So I had to beg one of the security guards to accompany me into an executive area to promise I wasn't sort of going somewhere I shouldn't be, but I needed to meet this man. When we got there, he was gone, by which time he said, meet me at the concourse ahead of walking out to Wembley Park tube or or into a car that was waiting for him. And it was at that point, dripping with sweat, out of breath, um, that I... uh, uh, met my fate. <laughs> met your fate. But not me, no. <laughs> Is there a scale at the moment at United on on whether they want to work with him or not? As as in, is it a fate complete? We do not. We are not. Apart from having to deal with him with Pogba, we don't want to deal with him on any other player. Or do they accept the realism of the world that you know if he owned if he's looking after a player that they want to buy, they're going to have to deal with him? Oh, or yeah. are they scrubbing all those players off their list? No, no, they, they certainly can't do that because I think otherwise you'd just limit yourself, wouldn't you? And you never know. Erling Haaland might become available in a couple of years' time, as we are led to believe. You know, clauses and, and would United want to pursue that at that point? You know, so you can't have a kind of blanket ban. I don't think. I, I suppose just given the, the the Pogba situation being so delicate and given he's such a valuable asset to them, it just makes things more complicated for the time being Uh, let's move on to strikers then Harry Kane out until April so lots of speculation about who might deputise for him at the Euros if he didn't make it and that's still a a big if so in your column this week you you can rule out one person uh, which is the Premier League's top scorer at the moment it's highly unlikely that Jamie Vardy will go to the Euros with England There would need to be an appetite for him to reverse his decision to step away from international football, which was made after the 2018 World Cup. And as yet, we've not seen much appetite on his behalf. I don't think that should be taken to mean he's turned his back on his country. He loves his country and representing England. But the decision he took was to benefit his club career, his family life. It's had a great effect on him. Meanwhile, England have moved on too. Gareth Southgate wants to look to the future. They think Kane will be fully fit by the Euros. We don't know that for sure. And my understanding is that it would take a major injury crisis uh, for that situation to change, i.e. they would need to lose their number two as well, which at the moment is Tammy Abraham. Then behind him, it looks like Danny Ings will come into the squad for the friendlies against Italy and Denmark in March. And 
After that, you have Marcus Rashford, who would prefer to play in a central role anyway. And then after that is an out-of-form Callum Wilson, but he has been in the setup. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin is not far from the radar. I don't think he's going to be in the March squads, but he is in their thinking. I think in the early stages, there was some sort of conversation between the two parties. My understanding is that there hasn't been any since, although Gareth Southgate and Jamie Vardy and his representatives are on very good terms. I'm afraid I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, let's bring Rob Tanner in, who covers Leicester City for The Athletic. Uh, hi, Rob. Hi, how you doing? Uh, yeah, very good, thanks. Obviously, you know Jamie Vardy very well. You'd agree with David that it's unlikely to happen anytime soon. Oh, yes, absolutely. And it's one of those questions that's always fired at Brendan Rodgers about Vardy in uh, England. I think it was uh, partly a bit of frustration, the fact that he was travelling being away from his family and not playing. And we've obviously seen how much it's benefited his club form as well this season. Uh, He's just uh, been getting stronger and stronger for Leicester as as a consequence. So I think his form has borne out the decision. And you've spoken to him, have you, about the difference it has made to him having that... I suppose, what would, it, what would it be? Six days, seven days of not actually being on international duty and instead being able to do what he wants when he wants. Well, he's very, very big now on uh, recovery mm. and how he, he prepares for games. And Obviously, earlier in his career, he was a bit of a lad. He probably didn't uh, prepare for games in the best of way, you know, with the pre-match port and all that sort of stuff. But uh, <laughs> uh, now he's a very different sort of character. He's got his cryo chamber at home as well. So he goes in there because that stimulates the blood flow through his body as well. So he's very, very focused now on his career and getting the most out of it because obviously he came into the professional game quite late on. He hasn't got those early miles in his in, in his legs. He has a cryo chamber at home, does he? He does, yes. They got into it uh, at Leicester when they installed one down the training ground. He loves it. Absolutely loves it. Can't keep him out of it. It's like Marcus on the screen. You can't keep him out of it, B.A. Yeah, oh, yeah, they have to pull him away. So he brought his own. This was the first summer where they could properly physically test him in pre-season because of international tournaments previously. He's always been coming back to pre-season late. And all his stats were quite amazing. He's faster now than he was uh, at 2015-16 when the last time he was tested. Rob, one thing I was told was that Vardy may consider coming back and he would take the call from Gareth Southgate if he was guaranteed to go to the Euros as the first choice striker, the man to lead England's front line. Uh, And that would change the situation rather than travelling and sitting on the bench and going stir crazy in hotel rooms and playing second fiddle to Harry Kane. We know that Gareth Southgate isn't the type to hand out such guarantees to anybody, but that could be quite interesting over the next few months if he becomes the sort of number one, if if Harry Kane's recovery doesn't quite go to plan and in everybody's mind, he would be a no-brainer. That might make it quite uh, an intriguing situation. Well, you're right, David, because he's never categorically said that's it, he's done with England. He said, look, if the, if England need him and he's going to play, he would, he would consider it, he would answer the call. And the people I've spoke to that represent him have always said the same thing. He's not, he's not officially gone into international retirement. The last time they managed to test him properly in pre-season was 15-16, did you say? Yeah. So, so, for, so for, what does that say about our football and the demands on international footballers that clubs, even in pre-season, can't can't get the data they want or the testing they want or they can only do it every four years? Well, the testing starts on the first day of pre-season yeah. back and, and invariably Vardy's been away on international duty at the end of the season. It's 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 The football is, is 12 months of the year now. That's why 
he's not been tested for such a long time because he's always been having to take an extra bit of holiday after finishing international duty. Go back to uh, his early story. I mean, he's confessed to eating dripping sandwiches. I mean, that was you know, <laughs> how he uh, how he used to look after himself. And uh, you know, tea after work used to be whatever was uh, being sold at the service do you th- station. Do you think? Do you think that he is the only person? In this country, who has eaten both dripping sandwiches and has installed his own private cryo chamber? I think he's probably in a yeah, he's probably in a, in a very unique bracket. In I'll, I'll throw it out there if anybody wants to get in touch with the Athletic, but I would be very surprised if there's anyone else in that country who ticks the, both those boxes. Rob, what's a dripping sandwich? Oh my god! Oh, dripping's the fat that you get after you've done your roast. Oh beef, yeah, but, uh, it's a very much a northern thing. Okay. <laughs> Did I have it in Wilms, though, David? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> right, let's talk James Madison, because this appears the perfect story with Rob Tanner from the Leicester point of view, Laurie from the Manchester United point of view, David is the godfather of the athletic and, and the column. So you go first. Well, we know James Madison is a player that Manchester United admire and they see him as a potential signing. It was always more likely to have been one that they would pursue in the summer of 2020. In the meantime, Leicester and Madison's representatives are in negotiations over a new contract. Rob will probably know much more about this than me, but it seems that you know Leicester were optimistic, according to some reports. Madison's camp were not so optimistic and there was a bit of a gap between the two. There's also other interest in James Madison as well, likely to materialise from the likes of Tottenham and Liverpool, etc. We've talked about that in the past. And so, you know, the the fact that Leicester's perspective was that not a great deal had changed for James Madison from the time that he signed from Norwich a year previously he was on a long-term contract that was was a year old he hadn't won anything he improved as a player but so have many of their players they were very relaxed about the situation Madison was said to be very relaxed about it as well now he's an England captain international perhaps that changes things in terms of his value it's certainly one that's not going to go away. It's going to be one of the most sort of high-profile transfer situations over the next year or so, I'd imagine. Even if he does sign a new contract, it wouldn't surprise me if he then left in, say, a year's time and that Leicester pinning him down to a new deal would be largely to protect his value. What's the feeling within Leicester, Rob? I saw Brendan Rodgers on one of his press conferences over the weekend go, it's very difficult to come up with different ways of saying, no, we aren't going to sell him every time I come into a press conference. Well, yeah, exactly. He's been asked at every press conference for a number of weeks now, and I think there's a growing sense of frustration at Leicester a little bit. I mean, for me, it's got a little bit of echoes of the Harry Maguire uh, situation. I mean, Man United's uh, pursuit of him was was quite long-winded, and uh, I think it started to um, get on a few people's nerves mm. at Leicester, because uh, it it's very distracting uh, for the player when constantly, you know, he's been linked with uh, Manchester United in the in the media, and those obviously those reports are generated from elsewhere. But uh, in terms of his future, Leicester never sell in January. They never sell one of their key players, but they always sell one every summer, and they have done since they won the title. So uh, I think they know where they stand as a club at the moment, although they've got fantastic ambition and they want to be competing with the likes of uh, Man United, Man City and the rest uh, at the very top of the English game. And uh, they want to keep their players so they're building a young, exciting team. I think there's a realism as well that um, uh, if uh, one of these uh, clubs come along and offer a massive amount of money because they won't get give them away, they don't, don't need the money. They're a very rich club in their own right. 
then there's something might happen in the summer. But certainly, uh, I think they find it all a little bit irritating in January. Rob, going off script here slightly, if there was script? going to be... <laughs> well, yeah, it's just off the top of our heads, yeah, isn't it? Um, if there was likely to be that one next summer, who do you think it would be? Because, you know, we know that, or we think, or we hear that Manchester City are interested in Kagla Sionchu. And mm. also, I've heard a lot from within the game that clubs are hotting up their interest in Ben Chilwell and that he could be in line for a very big move at some point. Yeah, I think there'll only be one in the summer and it will depend on which one um, they really want to 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 get done. I mean, it all depends on the offer of ultimately. I mean, Man United paid £80 million a world record fee for Harry Maguire and that was the only way they were going to get him out of Leicester City, even though Harry had in, uh, indicated to Leicester that he wanted to, to make the move. Um, at the moment, none of the uh, players internally at Leicester have made any uh, such indication. Uh, to the club that they want to move on. I think they both appreciate, Ben certainly appreciates, and I think James appreciates at the moment where they are in terms of their personal development. They're playing on a regular basis. They've got a great platform. They're playing in a young, exciting team that suits the way they play. And on the back of that, they've got England recognition. So they're in a good place right now. And also with the situation with uh, Madison's contract, he's contracted till 2023. So I'm sure they'll try and get that uh, that agreed. So that'll strengthen Leicester's arm even more in terms of fighting off any uh, attention for Madison in the summer. Who has the final say on this within Leicester? You know, if, if the ne- David's thrown other names out there. So if it was, as you say, they only sell one in the summer, who would... Is that Brendan Rodgers? Is that the director of football? Is it the chairman... Is it I think collaborative? I think, I think there'll be a, a, a conversation between John Rook and the director of football and, and Brenda Rogers about what ultimately they want to do. But at the very, very top is top, hmm. uh, Kunai Owat, who, who has the overall control. And uh, he certainly was uh, digging his heels in in terms of um, Harry Maguire. And he was adamant that they certainly wouldn't be going for anything less than a world record fee. And uh, they certainly won that little battle in that sense. So I think Top will have a massive amount uh, of input on it as well. But I think he trusts the football people at the club. And that's when one of Leicester's strengths, they let the football people at the club get on with running the football side of the club. I think they'll let them decide. OK, the script says, say thank you and goodbye to Rob. We have got a script. Thank you. Bye, Goodbye, Rob. Rob. Bye. <laughs> uh, Rob Tanner, who covers Leicester for The Athletic. We'll get the Manchester United perspective on James Madison shortly. But The Athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you your five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names, up-and-coming designers and exclusive brands you won't find anywhere else. You try and everything at home, Style it with your other items in your wardrobe. Pay for what you love. Send back the rest. Your stylist time is a charge of just 10 quid, but that is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. And remember, you try before you buy at home. Delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. So... Stitch Fix allows you to save time because we do the shopping for you. Discover new styles. Your stylist could find great items that you've never picked out when shopping for yourself. You haven't done it yet, I can tell. 
because you've worn that jumper before. Enjoy top styling tips. Our experts will give you ideas on how to wear the items they pick out for you. So get started with Stitch Fix today. Support our podcast as well. Just go to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic right now. I'll spell it for you. S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co dot UK forward slash athletic. James Madison, is he going to United? I was told uh, in the middle of December that he was their kind of you know main guy that they wanted in that creative midfield role. Leicester obviously are going to ask for a very big fee if the United do come knocking. I was told £100 million would be basically the starting price, uh, which is obviously crazy, I guess. In But, you know, he's got a long-term contract. He's created and assisting. As David said, I'd heard about these contract talks and it, it did it did feel like they were going to be uh, quite positively wrapped up, but it's still sort of lingering a little bit. So you kind of wonder what's going on there. But yeah, in terms of United's interest, it's, it's definitely there. There are other options, though, from their perspective uh, that they're looking at. Obviously, the Bruno Fernandes situation is, is quite live at the moment. I'm also told that Jack Grealish, in terms of an English player, is a very favoured candidate as well um, and that situation with Aston Villa might make that a much cheaper option particularly if they get relegated obviously so yeah they have got Harry, Harry Winks we had last week Harry Winks sorry yeah of course yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Kai Havertz is another one that hasn't really been reported that much the 20 uh, year old at Bayer Leverkusen who um, had a really great season last season has a, had a little bit of a dip this season I'm told that there were sort of talks this month about that to see if Bayer Leverkusen would sell but again the price was something like 100 million euros uh, you know was communicated back and United weren't prepared to do business at that level, so I think they parked it for the time being. But it, it feels like in this window, Bruno is the chosen candidate. Bruno's definitely the one that's advanced. I mean, he um, obviously we had it all last summer, didn't we? Uh, the Portuguese press sort of repeatedly m- uh, mentioned that he was going to be coming to United at various different points. It got very exciting. The whole way through, United were, were pretty consistent in the message that, listen, Bruno is somebody that we're, we've looked at, but he's, he's not one that's currently being pursued right now. So uh, parked it, and, and to be fair, you know, that, that came to pass. Now this month, it is different. It's sort of the, the, the hair was set racing when um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Mike Phelan went out and watched him play uh, for Sporting against Porto uh, the Sunday after the FA Cup match at Wolves. Obviously that then became apparent. The Portuguese press uh, began to report it. I I then managed to confirm that that was the case, that they'd gone out to watch him specifically. I've heard that effectively he said he would like to join United, so it's now just on the club to do the deal. Um, And it seems like there's, I guess, a complicated deal potential that, that Sporting Lisbon have asked for players in return. Marcus Rojo was one name mentioned, although I'm told that that isn't going to be the case. Um, Angel Gomez was another player mentioned, again told that isn't going to be the case. So obviously you have to take things as you find them. These things can move, but um, at the same time it's basically now dependent on United striking a deal with Sporting Lisbon from my perspective. One word of caution on this particular player is that last summer Manchester United uh, explored the possibility of signing him, as did Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, and both of them, from what I'm told, encountered incredibly complicated and complex uh, negotiations, moving of goalposts from intermediaries, from uh, the selling club, uh, changes in price and conditions, and as you say, potential of players going in the opposite direction. It's reported that the fee is much lower if Manchester United were to do it now than it was last summer. So that may ease some of those concerns. But I don't think this one's going to be imminent, famous last words, and a bit of patience is required. I don't think there's a guarantee it's going to happen, but clearly it's at the forefront of Manchester United's thinking at the moment. Mm, Yeah, definitely, definitely no guarantee, but yeah, it's the one that we're working on. I don't want to blow apart your relationship with your team. 
<laughs> as you wince, your relationship with with people at the club who who are telling this information. But um, at the start of the transfer window, the perception is they lost out on Erling Haaland to Borussia Dortmund, who's a striker, right? I've had other people say Manchester United's main priority in this transfer window is a defender, right? Which I'm assuming means a centre half, despite the fact that they started the season with seven of them. Got crazy, and now all the ones that are being linked with are midfielders. There could be a perception amongst cynical Manchester United fans that the club aren't 100% sure what they're doing and are happy to be linked with anybody if it gives the impression to the fans that they're trying to do something. Um, I would I would very much hasten to say that they're not happy to be linked with everybody because um, you know they've got a good um, team, I think, there that, that do give you good sort of steers on certain things. I mean, for example, Donny van der Beek was one that obviously... There's, a, got... there's another one There's another one that we haven't mentioned either, Bill Lewis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he did get men- yeah. he got reported and clearly there's, there's some interest there, but I was told, listen, that's not one for now. Like, sort of park that. Um, again, I keep sort of referring to this parking. Um, I'm, I'm re- rubbish at parking <laughs> as well. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, so I don't, I don't think, certainly it's not from it's not coming from United that they're saying, please get these names out there, for example. It's, it's very much, you know, journalists from all different aspects of, of um, the industry trying to find out who are United going to sign um, if they're going to sign anybody and obviously the club are, are kind of trying to you know give us accurate stirs as and when okay that, your relationship I've, 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 yeah your relationship with fact, right, we're, reco- we're recording this on the 13th of January it drops on the 14th of January is there any are we having a sweepstake on what day in January they'll be linked with Kula Bali just, just because <laughs> yeah, already, I, I don't think I don't, it's happened this January yeah I, 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 I'm actually doing a piece you know, <laughs> we, might, we might see it at the end of the month on, on who how many players United have been linked with So, do you know what it is at the moment out of interest no please don't put me on okay, the okay alright alright uh, let's move on from uh, move on from United so you bumped into Czech Tosson this weekend who else have you who else have you been bumping into <laughs> no, well, well when we say bumping into you are you are you hanging outside these players hotels and how just to try no, that was at, that was at the um, Palace Arsenal game. Right, okay. There was the Football Writers Association uh, tribute dinner to Vincent Company right. on Sunday evening, and um, lots of other meetings and conversations that I don't want to talk to you about. Okay, anybody you do want to talk to me about? Piontek, yes, um, at AC Milan. He seems the most available, high-profile striker in Europe at the moment, and I understand there's interest from four clubs in England and one in Italy. There's a bit of a problem here though that um, AC Milan want him sold if they're going to do a deal for him rather than loaning him out. Uh, Tottenham, for example, who are interested, would favour a loan deal or a player swap and AC Milan aren't interested in either of those. The clubs that might be interested in buying him, I don't know, maybe Aston Villa, for example, wouldn't be looking to spend the sort of money that AC Milan want. So I think... This one's at a bit of a logjam at the moment. I could see it moving before the end of the window, but uh, like with many of these deals, it's going to take qu- quite a bit of time. In this transfer window, your, when you when you talk about somebody like him, is your experience that the foreign clubs see the pound signs for a January transfer window if a Premier League club comes looking? Because they, they, they must be desperate. To be honest, it's different in every case, but that is a, a notion I come across quite a lot. Somebody like Piontek, he did really well last season when he came in midway through the season to Milan. He's not done so well this season. Suddenly, loads of interest coming from England. 
their eyes are probably lighting up. Milan are in financial trouble as well. So, yeah, I, d- I do think they see that desperation. There's a lot of um, uh, clubs looking for emergency solutions in England at the moment. The problem is the sort of money they're being asked to pay is incredibly off-putting. And so they're looking more towards the loan market. A couple of people very prominent within clubs said to me today, words like the market is terrible, awful. So I, I don't think there's a lot of flexibility in what they're able to do. And I said it to you last time, I think this is this has a good chance of being a window for what doesn't happen or what loans can get pushed through. I think there will be a rush at the end. I just want to talk Jack Wilshire because, you know, if you get an injured player back, it's like a new signing at this uh, this uh, this time of year. But in your column that dropped this week on The Athletic, you've written about Jack Wilshire. Yeah, and he's not going to be like a new signing because he's not just he's not back to fitness just yet. He's still a couple of weeks away from that. Uh, however, he is looking, and West Ham are looking for him to make a fresh start now under David Moyes. It didn't go well under Manuel Pellegrini uh, a few years ago when uh, Arsenal loaned Wilshire out to Bournemouth. They devised a set of guidelines that were aimed at keeping him fit. It was all about. Load management in training and matches, recovery too, and it worked. He did really well yeah. in terms of number of performances. I think it was 29 performances at Bournemouth and Arsenal for the first couple of games of that season, 2016. Uh, and then he was unlucky. He broke his leg in an impact injury with Harry Kane in a challenge that they had. But he returned for the next season at Arsenal and made 38 appearances as Arsenal got to the Europa League final. People could still see he wasn't at full fitness, but he was playing goes to West Ham and makes eight appearances. Ankle issues return. He has surgery. And I was told that that set of guidelines were not continued by Pellegrini at West Ham. Pellegrini wanted him to train every time the team trained. He also brought some of his own protocols into the equation. And I don't think that was suited to Wilshire. In the meantime, Wilshire has had a breakdown in relations with some of the um, members of West Ham's uh, medical and fitness teams, which is not good. Who are still there, despite yep. Pellegrini going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they are. Yeah. And um, and Wilshire, in between all of that, last summer started paying uh, a physio that he's worked with from his time at Arsenal to, to come over and um, from Ireland and to work with him for a couple of days at a time each week or so. And... Now there is collective hope, despite all of these issues, that he will get back, get fit and um, start to show his quality in the remaining 18 months of his contract. There are some suspicions that West Ham could want him sold in January and he would not entertain that. He is going to stay and try and get things right there, either to do well for West Ham or to put him in the shop window for a move. And I know a lot of people have linked him with the MLS and, and other places. Let's finish with uh, some questions from you then before we go. Charlie, Laurie uh, and David, but I suppose this is more you, Laurie. Do you have any information on either the Gomez or the Chong contract situation at Manchester United? Yeah, obviously I touched on Angel Gomez before and uh, it's, I think it's quite similar with Tehi Chong. Um, I don't think anything's particularly moved forward. They're both out of contract this both summer. Out of contract this summer, yeah. So obviously they can start talking to foreign clubs now. I think Tehi Chong is... is uh, talking to Juventus as, as one, you know, potential um, and and for quite a decent um, salary as well, which I don't think United would would entertain matching. Uh, and then Angel Gomez, yeah, we've obviously seen him come back into the team more. I'm led to believe we might actually see him even start a game potentially uh, in the Premier League, not too uh, you know distant future. As I guess, is it a bit of a carrot from from Solskjaer or the club? Um, is it also a bit of needs must given you know the situation with other players? So um, we'll see. But I don't think there's anything imminent on either of those in terms of contracts. Although bizarrely, first time round with. Pogba, they gave him a few appearances towards the end of 
when yeah. he was out of contract, yeah, good point. and that didn't that, <laughs> no. that didn't help keep him at the time. Uh, oh, good, there's an Arsenal question. That was a relief, surprise, David. I thought surprise. we were going to get one. Uh, Elliot, will Arsenal be going for anyone in January? Uh, surely, as a new manager, he was given some assurance of financial backing, regardless of summer spending. I don't know what assurances he was given, Mikel Arteta, but Arsenal are looking to make one to two loan signings during this January transfer window. They're not close on any of them just yet, I'm afraid, but that's in keeping with what we've talked about with the rest of the league. It would be a maximum of, of one to two loans from what I'm told. Arteta feels he has a strong squad, especially when players come back from injury. My information was that one of those positions they're looking to fill is left centre half with a loan deal. Uh, there's also suggestions possibly of uh, central midfielder and maybe someone to cover in the fullback areas with the injuries they've got there. They spent heavily last summer, so that's got to be factored into the equation, especially around FFP. They, like many clubs, much prefer the summer window, so you can expect Arsenal to spend again next summer. But as always, and sorry to have to say this to many Arsenal fans, but it's the way of the world in, in football these days. They need to live within their means and they've not got a lot of flexibility, like many clubs, over what they're able to do. It's more likely that there'll be a couple of outgoings in the immediate term um, with Eddie and Ketia going on loan. Now, this is quite embarrassing because I said to you on the podcast last week that that was imminent, mm. um, but these things change. The reason being that Mikel Arteta wanted to look at Eddie Nketiah, who of course had just come back in from the loan at Leeds and was by the pitch on the night of the Leeds-Arsenal game. Um, Arteta likes him and wanted to make a proper decision, uh, considered decision at this crucial time of his development. So as we reported before, Nottingham Forest, Sheffield Wednesday um, and Bristol City had all been in the conversation. Bristol City, the feeling was, were in the forefront. I don't think Aston Villa should be ruled out of the mix as a possible option, but that one's going to get sorted either way. I promise you this week, okay. imminently. Um, so he might and- still keep him. No, he's going to no, go out so on loan. So he has loan. now looked at him yeah. and decided, right, yeah, go he, out on loan. he is going to go out okay. on loan. So that I would expect to come sooner rather than later. The key thing being that they need to give him game time. And just because Aubameyang has got a three-game suspension, uh, that's not going to change their planning and their future vision for what needs to happen with Eddie Nketiah. And from his perspective and the club's perspective, he needs to go out and get games. There may be a couple of other loans out of Arsenal, not particularly high profile. be interesting to see what happens with somebody like Skodron Mustafa um, but at the moment no move for him is close either OK uh, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic to read in full all the great articles from David and Laurie and Rob and many more of course and if you uh, listen to us then you can get a 40% discount on subscription by going to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman all our podcasts are completely free and ad free versions are available to subscribers and don't forget that the Transfer Daily drops every single weekday during the window it's presented on rotation by Jackie Oatley Caroline Barker and Adam Leventhal who will bring you fresh lines and also build on some of the stories David has brought us today that's it thank you very much for listening uh, we're off for dripping sandwiches <laughs> and a cryo chamber and a cryo chamber yes I'm still confused. (laughs) Uh, We'll see you next week. Ciao. Ciao!